0: Welcome to the Expert Speak podcast with Michael DeLon. Each episode features a leading expert who shares helpful insights, practical tips, and memorable stories that will inspire you, educate you, and help you enjoy more success, freedom, and purpose in your life. For the next few minutes, enjoy listening to Expert Speak with Michael DeLon. And welcome to
1: another episode of Experts Speak. I'm Michael DeLon, and today I am talking with David Finkel. Uh, David, by the way, thanks for um, squeezing me into your busy, busy
0: schedule, dude. Yeah. Are you kidding, Michael? I'm looking forward to this.
1: Well, it's going to be great. Um, David is the the CEO of Maui Mastermind, which is like North America's premier business coaching company, um, and he's also an author. In in fact, he's he's a Wall Street Journal best-selling author. He's a Business Week best-selling author, and he's not written one book or two. He's written twelve books. Okay. And the guy's only like 30. So I'm not sure how he's gotten that done.
0: (laughs) Turning 51 this year, but I appreciate that. That's great. I love it. It used to be people said I was younger. No one says that anymore. You're like, I guess you have to look at me through the internet to say that. Thank you, Michael. That made my highlight there. I'm going to tell my wife that Heather's going to say, don't you believe a word of that? (laughs) That's right. That's right.
1: But it's recorded forever now. So, David, your, your your most recent book is called The Freedom Formula, and we, when we saw that and, and, and read a little bit about you, uh, it really grabbed our attention, and the subtitle says how to succeed in business without sacrificing your family, your health, or your life, and, and as you get to know me, you'll understand that family is primary in my life, you know, it's got my faith in Christ and then my family, my business is third or fourth or fifth, it really is. Too many business owners don't operate that way. Yeah. Um, we we are so focused on what we do that we sacrifice our family at the dinner table with our cell phones or whatever. I want to I want you to unpack for us today the freedom formula, what you've learned about entrepreneurship and life and business, and and hopefully share some some real practical takeaways for our audience to say here are some things you can do to take back your life and gain some freedom to have joy in life. Uh, but as, as we get in there, give us a snapshot of you and, and how at 51, have you created this, this incredible business? Um, you told me before you came on that, you know, you're taking the summer off and and I'm like, wait a minute. So how do you have that kind of freedom? Tell us who you are and, and give us a snapshot of, of data.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm just like any of your listeners here. I'm a entrepreneur that's built various companies. And so some of which I've sold and some of which I still own today, um, I think the big point of departure for me was right around the time my wife got pregnant with my first kids. We, we try to get pregnant for about five years. Finally, with a little help from science, IVF, and so forth, we had twins. And I'm holding my two sons in my arms, and Matthew and Adam, and, and, and I'm overwhelmed like every new parent is. I'm flooded with emotions. And suddenly, the idea of getting on another airplane and mm-hmm. traveling to give a workshop to tell people how to grow a company – it just doesn't appeal to me anymore. Um, and so I made the decision there. I'm going to change the way I do this. And prior to that, I'm, I'm a former athlete. You know, I played on the U.S. national field hockey team playing toward the Olympics. So I was really a kind of a driven person, and I just traded out when I got injured sport for for business. And, and so that's kind of how I identify myself through what I do, yeah. which many people fall into that trap I did. And when I had these two little beautiful souls, now I have three sons, Joshua joined, joined Matthew and Adam. Oh, awesome. um, when I had these two little beings in my arms, it was like, that was no longer what I wanted. I, I was clear on that part. And so I had all along said, I want to build scalable companies. And a scalable company requires that you have something called strategic depth. That means the business can't be reliant on any one person including and especially the owner Amen. so we've got to have systems we've got to have internal controls we've got to have well-trained staff that are cross-trained to back each other up but most of all we need this cultural commitment in our company to strategic depth and and at the same time here's the the the, the, the pull i believe in creating value but i'm living in a culture that says you create value through time and there's almost like these two economies that are operating and you have what i call the the time and effort economy it says you get paid for for hours and effort and attitude and then what we realize is that's just not true that's that's bunk we get paid for value we all live in a value economy but in the time and effort economy i say things like you know if i don't get this to get this done quickly then i'm going to disappoint x or y And in the value economy, instead, I say, well, hang on, if I don't do the important things with my limited discretionary time, I'm not going to achieve the the business goals that I have. So I combine that with one key element, which my kids taught me, which is I I approach this as I I just said, no longer, 40 hours is it. I'm not going to do 50, 55, 60 hours, 40 is it. And I'm taking 10 weeks off. I don't care what happens in the business. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to figure out how a way to do that healthfully for the company. And almost like a you think about an astronaut, right? He or she's up in space. You, you have a certain amount of consumables of oxygen, of food, of fuel, and you can't just pull over and get more. So that 40-hour limitation that put on it said, I'm going to have to be a lot better with the hours that I do. And it started off with my own use of hours. And that's why the first half of the freedom formula says, how do we individually work smarter? Everyone says, you know, you should work smart, not hard. But we don't always get the how-tos, the, you know, how do I do that in the face of all these other demands? So that's the first half. The second half that we'll get into perhaps in here as well is how do I operationalize working smarter inside my business? So it's not just me, but it's my staff that are also working smarter as well. And the two halves of that are what allow me to have the, the freedom. And, and and more importantly, it's transferred into other client businesses. You know, We've been doing the, the coaching thing now with hundreds of companies now for well over a decade. Um, and the same kind of thing. Like how can they do the same thing in their businesses, work intelligently, effectively and get their staff to do the same?
1: Dude, that's great. Let me pause there because you just you just hit a hot button for me. I have, I've been eight years in my business. Yeah. And and i I short of vowing. I made a vow years ago that I, I was not going to work for 40 or more than 40 hours. I, my philosophy has always been if it takes me more than 40 hours, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. And I've gotten so much pushback from family members and from people outside, going well, then you'll never have a successful business, Michael. That's right. Ah, that is a lie from the pit, right? It is possible, but it does take discipline and systems. I'm in a mastermind group, and and this guy's you know millionaire built many businesses and things, and he's huge on systematizing your business, what sure. kind of what you're talking about, and what he calls focus time, which is a two hour block every week where you're working to build a system in your business. Right. Yeah. And, and he's like, if you do these little things, it's going, you're going to build a business that runs without you. And I think that's the concept that you're talking about that business owners don't get for some reason.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, there's this cultural norm that says, you know, you you gotta, you know, the earlier bird gets the worm and you've gotta, you gotta put in sweat equity and it's just the people who propagate this typically are one of two folks, Right? It's the, the media that are propagating because it fits into this iconic idea we have of a business person who works, 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 works. And then it's the people who are looking at, at this media representation and think, well, this must be true. But look, I, I know thou, a thousand plus of some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the United States. And I will tell you that all of them, they work exceptionally intelligently. Some of them do work way too much, and they paid a price for that. But those that I would consider most successful that have both the business success and the whole life success, they found – it's not a balance point. They found a way to integrate the two, and they found a way that, that – and really, I'd say this. In the value economy, if I'm not getting paid for time, I'm getting paid for value created, there's a degrading relationship between one more hour worked and one more unit of value created. And I'll give an example with a professional service firm. So one of our clients, he runs a, a law firm. It's a mid-sized law firm. You know, they've got, I think it's nine attorneys that work in with him. He's the managing partner, the founding partner of this firm. And I remember having a conversation. Now, he charges 600 bucks an hour. So it's a fairly healthy hourly rate. And I remember having this conversation. He was about seven or eight months into the program. And he Says, well, I can't do the program anymore. I it's just cost me not only to pay you, but I, I lose an hour of billable time every two weeks. And I laughed. I said, well, before you do that, let's just take a look at the actual hard numbers. And so we looked at the hard numbers, and in that seven month period, through some of the work he had, and I'll tell you exactly what he did that increased it the biggest he had increased his actual bottom line profit by over 250,000. That was his bottom line profit as the managing partner. What did he do? For example, um, he was at an hour hourly rate, for example, his his secretarial and paralegal staff, which he bills through for, they were at way too low. So we gave some real increases to those places. These are things that he never took the time to look at. It took him, Michael, probably three hours of a little bit of research, a little bit of thinking, a little bit of, of, of courage time to change the pricing. It took a staff probably 10 hours to actually change the pricing on their software and how they did their billing. And that was the only change. Same cost, same clients, just a lot more money from that. But he had never looked at that. So most professional service firm providers think my best use of time is doing a billable unit of work. And almost always billable time is almost always not their best. And, And we break time into, we called our time value matrix. We'll get into that later. But I can just tell them that almost always billable hours is almost always a second tier use of time. It's good, but it is not the best at all for most every professional service provider.
1: Yeah, totally. I was just on the phone right before this interview with, with uh, somebody in the music industry, they have a business and in her area, 20 competitors, they're all priced the same. She's, she's got the best website, the best business, the best background. Yeah. And I said, there's no big dog, there's no, and she's like, well, everybody looks at me. I said, oh, here's what we need to do. She could probably double her prices.
0: Yeah. and grow her revenue at the same time and, and probably not lose many clients. That's right, because price signifies value and, and where you stand in the hierarchy. And even if she lost a quarter of her clients, if she doubled her price, lost a quarter of her clients, she's working one quarter less and making 25% more just on the surface of it. That, that And that's such an easy trade out yep. for many people who have the luxury of a really strong high-end service that they provide. Right. Right. Yeah,
1: and that's good. So let us flip the let's flip it a little bit now. So let's take somebody, a financial advisor, who sure. who makes a commission, right? They're not, they're not the, um, they they can't raise their prices per se because they're just making a commission. And they're like, well, yeah, I just got to go get more clients. Sure. So let's talk about how can they be better with their time so that they're not, well, sucked into this thing and dealing yeah. with what I call the email tsunami, right? Yeah. Every morning. How do we deal with that thing to stay focused on, on the highest and best use of our time?
0: Let's get clear on what the highest and best use of our time is first. So we, we call this the time value matrix, and it's really straightforward. Everyone here who's listening or watching this podcast, Michael, they've all heard of the 80-20 rule. Yep. They've all heard of Pareto's principle. 80% of what I do is very low value. It creates only 20% of our result. We call that D time, very low value, 80% junk. Then then we say that 20% of our time creates a leveraged return, and that gives us 80% of the result. So we talk about that as being C time. Most people stop there. Well, let's apply that a second time. If 20% of what I do gives me 80% of the result, then 20% of that 20% gives me 80% of the 80%. We call that 4% sweet spot, that B time time gives me 64% of the output. And again, these numbers aren't exact, but they're good frames of reference. And bear with me for one more math moment, right? If 20% of the 20% gives me 80% of the 80%, 20% of the 20% of the 20% gives me 80% of the 80% of the 80%. Yeah. And the math I'll work out. It's roughly this magic 1% A time that gives me half the value. So let's go back to your, your financial services person. let would say I'm whether I'm selling an insurance product or an investment product or in any other business, me doing certain low value stuff like scanning of a document or, or, or picking up the mail, That's D time. Clearly, that's low value junk. Most email is D time, not all, but most is. Now we'd say, well, if I can be face to face with a prospect, that's got to be my best time. And it's not always. Matter of fact, for many people, if I've got an established business, me being face to face with a sales prospect might in my business, that would be C or D time. Why? I've got a sales force that should do that. I've got a sales manager that should be working with those people. So depending where you are, let's just say I'm, I'm a solopreneur. Mm-hmm. So for me, one-to-one with a client, might be, maybe that uh, time that I'm securing a new sale, that might be B time. That's valuable. A time is the things that I do that get me repeatedly in front of more cli- uh, client prospects. Right. That's my A time. B time might be that one-to-one moment to close the business. And C time might be the high-value relational things that I do to s- serve and fulfill my promises and keep them as a client. So we have to look at it that way. So go back to if, I, if I've got two or three people in my office, for example, one of the professional service providers we work with, her name's Liz. Uh, for her, she's got a staff of six. Great, her best time is on the things that she does that gets her in front of multiple prospective um, clients. Her B time is the time in FaceTime with new people to sign them into her service. And her C time is how she hands off to her staff to fulfill on the work. Now, one of her staff fulfilling on the work might be A, B, or C time for that person. But for her, the delegation of that work is C time. And then all the other junk people who want her attention that, that really haven't, there's no business purpose for it, that's the D time. That's the, the 80% mass. And so we start with that first. And now we can figure out how to get rid of email for blocks of time in our day. But does that make sense that we have to start with identifying in writing what our high value activities are in this hierarchy? So we know where our time goes, because if I save two hours of D time and I'm not clear, I'll just reinvest it in other D time junk activities. I've got to crowd the other stuff out by knowing what to replace it with.
1: Yeah, totally. And and it reminds me, I um, one of the books I read a number of years ago and I've reread it is The One Thing. Sure. Well, Gary, same, same concept, right? And he breaks it down. This is what is your one thing right now that ties to your one thing this week to so ties to your one thing, right? It's the same concept, but reading it, I always go, yeah, that's great. Putting it into practice is another thing altogether, right?
0: Absolutely. It is. And, and, you know, if you look at chapter two, the freedom form, one of the things we talk about here is, you know, I gave the analogy in the book and I think it's an apt one of going to a buffet. I I'm a big eater at buffets. Problem is, is so is my waistline. (laughs) And so I go to a buffet and the most important plate of food in a buffet, because I don't go to one, buff I don't go one trip. I go multiple trips. (laughs) You got to get your money's worth. That's right. The most important plate of food is your first plate of food. So if my first plate of food is filled up with vegetables and filled up with high quality protein, number one, I'm going to have less time or plate available for junk food Uh and I'm going to have less dessert. And so the same thing in my business day. What I do is I do two things. Number one is I pick one day a week to start with as my focus day. And all I say is in my focus day, like you mentioned, I I block off two to four hours. I found two to four hours is about what I can do one day a week to start with. I've seen this with thousands of business leaders we've done this with. One day a week, every Tuesday from 8 to 10, 45, right? I block it off. And it's got to be a recurring appointment in my calendar, a recurring appointment. It's got to be there that I honor the appointment most of the time. During that time, I I can do anything I want to, any one or two things that are A or B level activities. Then what do I do on the other days? On my other days, I have a one hour block of time on my other days. And if I can do that even on three out of the other four working days, what that means is I'm gonna take six to eight hours of old time and upgrade it. And I can do the rest of my working week the same way I always did. And what that means is that first plate of time is gonna have my high value activities. And, And even if I only did that for four hours a week, imagine four hours a week gives me an extra four weeks of working week over the course of a year of my best time back focused on A and B level activities. That's how I've watched people grow by 20%, 50%, double a company, triple a company, 10X a company over the course of two years, five years, seven years because they're having them and then their staff just reclaiming back a small portion of their week. They still have all the other time to waste, but not those hours. We start there.
1: Man, that that is, that is so gold. I hope, David, I hope people are listening and they'll go back and listen again because what you just gave there was gold, okay? Here's a decision I made last year. When I came into this year, I decided that I'm only accepting calls on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Yep. Monday and Friday are what I call my planning days. Yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are production days. Okay, my days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they are back to back to back to back to back. I'm exhausted at the end of the day, but they're high productivity moving me toward the important values that, that I'm, I want, right? That's right. I've got the, the the buffer days on the end to take care of all kinds of stuff. I'm trying to process email just twice a day. And I've been shocked, David, how fast I can get through like 30 emails. Because you're right. Most of them are worse. (laughs) Most of them don't
0: need me. Well, let's talk about a couple things here. So first of all, I'm going to talk on the time part. Here's what I've seen work for the largest number of business clients that we have. Number one, generally the first day of a week is hard to make as that focus time. So we we accept that that's going to be a working day. So we found that if it's a typical Monday through Friday schedule, which most business people are on, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday tend to be the most successful focus days. Friday, you tend to be after you've done it for a while you tend to be checked out certainly by the afternoon so right. that's what we've discovered in terms of email here's some thoughts for it because we have and if someone wants more ideas chapter two of the freedom forum we have a ton of it but but the things that i've found have been most helpful with email number one i have to age my email if i respond quickly i get more of it so if i'm my knee jerk is like you've just sent me an email if i immediately hit reply i'm going to get a a a, a a magnitude more email from you. If I even wait, could be waiting a few hours or even to the next day. For some people, I'll age an email a week or two using the delay delivery thing if I respond to it. Yeah. And what it does, that right there reduces email 20, 30%, just by aging those emails that make sense to do though. Yeah. If it's your number one client with an important thing, you respond right away. But if it's all the other people delay what is a reasonable amount, number two, Most of your email is internally driven, so perhaps get a different system from that, whether you want to use a Slack channel or Microsoft Teams or something. Or if you are going to use email, we call it the one, two, three system, so I can pre-digest my staff's email, and they can do the same for me. So in the subject line, most people kind of put junk subject lines or just leave it there. I hate it. It drives me crazy. (laughs) We require our staff to use an internal email, a number one, two, or three, and then a real subject line for what's there. Now, one means this is urgent and valuable. Do something with it right away. There should not be more than one one email in a typical day or week. If yeah. it is, there's a problem. A two says there's action you need to take in a reasonable time frame. A three says this is information only. You don't have to take action on it. So I can scan my inbox. And for me, probably 70% of my email is internally driven because most of the external stuff I've gotten rid of. Um, and on the internal email, I can, if there's a one, I'll, I'll look at that right away. If it's a two, I know I need to do something. I can leave the threes for some other time. I'm a lot like you. I find that I like to block moments for email, but I also find that I'm I'm a little bit of a type A person. So I've learned for me, I will oftentimes just do a quick scan on my phone versus being on my computer because I stink at typing with my thumbs. Yeah. So I'm not tempted to respond, but I satisfy that curiosity part. Also, I'll give myself, look, I can't go for, for six hours without looking, but can I go for two hours without looking yes. and, and, and really grow that muscle. The final well, one is an assistant. Oh, go ahead. I was going to talk about an assistant, but I'll, I'll let you. Pause you- on
1: the okay. assistant because we'll come back there. Yeah. But on the, on that two things that I've found very <laughs> helpful for me, shut your email off and set a timer on your phone for two hours and, and, and let the phone tell you when to check email because sure. that, that to me is helped because otherwise I'm like, well, I need to get back there. No, my timer's there. I'm going to trust it. And, I'm pretty safe in saying that no email is urgent. If it's urgent, you're going to call me or text me, right? If it's urgent. Yeah. So those, those are some tips that I've learned that, that I think people can help is just close it out and set a timer. Now, back to assistance, because that's key.
0: Yeah, well, well, first of all, most people are scared of using an assistant. They're scared it's going to be too expensive or I won't have enough for them to do or all the other pieces. Um, what I will mention from that is, that's just not true, whether you use a VA or you use someone local in your office or someone that's you know US-based or wherever it might be. Um, we give our best thoughts about assistance in that same chapter too, but let me share two that I think are really important. Number one, um, the way I train my, my assistant on my email. First of all, I trust that if I'm gonna hire the right person, my assistant's gonna be in my inbox. Some people say, well, what if she sees something? Yes, she's going to see it or he's going to see it. Um, but if I don't trust my assistant to see email, then I've got the wrong assistant. That's the problem. Plus, if it really is that proprietary, secret, um, confidential, what are you doing emailing it? It should be sent in a different mechanism anyways. Email is not a secure mechanism to doing that. Right. And and that's not how we should do that, right? My assistant, Emily, she, she's seen emails between my wife and I. She's seen – and she's mature enough to process that, but I hire that in who I have. So she uh, screens through my email and gets rid of probably 30 to 40% every day before I ever see it. Second one is there's something in Microsoft Outlook, which I'm I'm assuming that many people will use. There's an equivalent version in in Gmail. I don't know what it's called, but in, in Outlook, it's called a quick step. So I set up buttons in the quick steps that I can press that automatically categorize and move something into an action folder. And for example, I have things that says assistant do assistant archive, assistant add to appointment. So for example, before I came on your podcast, Michael, I can click on my appointment. It's on my screen right here. And all the key parts of the emails that you sent back and forth with her, they're all right there in the appointment. I don't, I don't have to sort for it. The date specific information, which for me is probably a third of my email is date specific information. Mm-hmm. She's already processed it to the day and the appointment that I need to have. So that i can go from appointment to appointment and people say david you have a great memory and i'm like well yes i cheat <laughs> you know she's given it to me right there and this is what highly effective entrepreneurs leaders in any walk of life do they have staff who make it easy for them to look smart yeah. i'm not a smart guy i'm smarter because emily puts that stuff right there and then i get to look smart those notes that way make it easy um and so quick steps are important and it makes life a lot easier because now she gets trained and she sees me do that a hundred times, which takes me a couple hours over the course of several several weeks. What? And she starts to get a feel for it herself. And yeah. she just starts doing it without my help.
1: Yeah, they're in, in another gold nugget. They're in, and, and that's the pushback I get when I talk to business owners. It's like, well, I don't have time to train somebody. Yeah, well, then you're going to be doing this all day the rest of your life, right? It's the time that you invest in training a, an assistant. I've got two virtual assistants. They do different things in the business. I cannot tell you, David, you probably know how much free time, how much headspace I have to sure. focus on high priority projects because I'm not dealing with that.
0: Right. Yeah. Let's mention that one of your assistants jobs needs to be to build the system for how to be a great assistant for you that's right. because you're going to have turnover in that role and that's just normal. So over time, your each generation of assistants should make the system that much better and yes. you're going to have to spot check it. You're going to have to centralize it on some cloud-based file system with that. We call it your UBS, the ultimate business system, chapter four of what we have. But but my point is that should be a, a defined responsibility in the interview process so that when they get hired, they're not. it's not new to them. Oh, my gosh, you're right. making me systematize or you're getting rid of me? It's part of the expectation coming in at point of hire, which means that they'll go ahead and accept it when they start with the company. It's just the way we do it. It's the
1: way we do it exactly. In fact, there's a whole system out there called Way We Do and it's a website where one of my clients uses that for his systems of his business. He's getting ready to sell his business now for multiple millions of dollars after 25 years. He has systems for everything. I mean, if it snows in Little Rock in May, he has a systems of what they do. That's well, right. no wonder he can sell his business, right? He doesn't yeah. work in his business anymore. Now but it's systems, and that's what I find most small business owners don't have. They don't have great marketing, number one, but they don't have a systems. They're not thinking systems, and that is so, so very important. If we're ever going to get freedom, right? Because otherwise, yeah. we are, we are, we're in prison, is what I call it. We have a nice, high-paying job.
0: You're- yeah, and, and going further than that, we've we've got to now transfer not just the owner's really efficient with his or her time. We've got to make it, how do we operationalize working smarter inside the company? So that would include, how do I start to engage my team in this? How do I be a better leader? How do I, here's, here's one simple one. Most people, they give a task to somebody else. Here, you do this, you do this, you do this. And they become a task master. Yeah. And what we need to do instead is to make the shift to delegating ownership of functional responsibilities in the business. And these are some things that when I give ownership of an ongoing recurring responsibility, I'm not having to be the taskmaster or the gap catcher. I'm going to have to have and grow my leaders in the business so that I'm not stuck there. One of the reasons why, even though I I actually had a a really important team member give notice recently. Well, why can I still take the summer off? It's because I've got other team members that for years we've been working on growing. For example, Teresa, our COO, or other people, and they're going to cover that part. They can handle it. They've, They've worked to grow themselves, and then we've worked to grow them that now it's part of their responsibilities and they have their backups should they need to take a couple weeks off to take care of a family member. Right. Each of us are backed up, myself included. And that strategic depth is key.
1: Well, and I love that that phrase strategic depth, because it's so important that you you have that cross training. So I had I had an event happen in my life uh, about a month ago. Yes. Uh, A dear friend of mine from church. um, He passed away of a heart attack. Suddenly his wife called me. I was able to engage with her and her family, cleared my calendar for the week and ministered to her for a week while my business kept running because my people jumped in. And my son, praise God, who works for me, he checked my calendar and he's like, oh, you have an interview on this day. I'm just gonna do the interview for you. It was beautiful, but it's, it's the, what you're talking about is, yeah. is working in my business. And I thought, how many people could take a week off, clear your calendar and not miss a beat, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's possible for business owners if they will get a copy of your book, The Freedom Formula, read it, implement it, nothing I'm, – and I've not read the whole book, but I'm sure it's not
0: rocket science. It's not. And, and as you say that, though, one thing that's important is strategic depth is both defense, right? How do I protect all the people's livelihood at stake? Yes. But it's also offense because if I have strategic depth, I now have a base from which to scale the company. If I've got great cross-trained people, if I've got a good leadership team, if I've got systems, if I've got a system for how I store and refine my systems over time, if I've got the culture that does that, now I can scale a company. Otherwise, what happens is most people reach what we call a capacity barrier. They can double a company, but they reach a certain point that they're no longer able to scale past. And the reason is, is because they're a control freak, right? They've got what we call controlitis, the inflammation of their control gland. And they haven't done this other work. Strategic depth gives you the base upon which to grow past that. And that's another value for when you have it.
1: That's great. One, one of the guys I've, I've followed for years in marketing, Roy Williams, he said, a business will only grow to the length of your own shadow Yeah. until you put in systems and, and grow like that. And I thought that was such a good word picture. How long is your shadow? Because that's, that's as big as your business will ever get. That's right. And you, you cast,
0: cast a huge shadow in your business. So one of the things we tell business people to do, matter of fact, it was in chapter four of the book, You know, take a vacation. You going away and your key people going away, whether it be for two weeks, two months, whatever it is, you going away gives you a chance to stress test what's going on, right. where are the holes and gaps and how can you make improvements. Your staff need you to be away on occasion so that they can see what the limits and, bar- and barriers are for their own growth in the company.
1: Right. And if it's not working right, it's not their fault. It's yours as the business owner because you haven't built it properly. That's right. And when you go on vacation, that doesn't mean checking your email all the time, right? It means
0: <laughs> disconnecting
1: and that's hard to do, uh, but it's necessary because if you're, if you're going to have freedom and, and not sacrifice your family or your health, we have to put this in place. Bus- I mean, business is supposed to be good. We're supposed to enjoy it, right? Yeah. Um, God, God created us to work. We just, we've taken it too far sometimes and it's all we live for. I
0: wonder. Yeah, and and to- the behaviors and the compulsions that drive that don't help the business. I, I will tell you that, and, and there is a diminishing return between extra hour work and, and value created. Oh most of the value you can create is through leveraging other people. And the most successful entrepreneurs I know they build for the day that they're no longer directly producing for the business, but they're leading in the business for others to directly produce in, in scalable ways. That's what we're doing.
1: It's great. Yeah. No, I tell people all the time, David, I said, I, and, and this is so true. I'm I'm good at four things in life. OK, I'm really good at those four things. Everything else, I'm adequate or less. Right. And yeah. so I've learned to build around me people who are great at these other things so I can invest my life in these four things and it, it makes all the difference in the world. It's been hard. I've had to, you know, I've had sure. to pay somebody to run a portion of my company. That's radical. But you know what happens? My business grows. when I Every time I hire somebody, my business grows. Go figure that out, right? Too many times as entrepreneurs, we don't want that we're scared to make the investment in people, which is really our best asset, because it frees us up to do what we're best at.
0: We've overlearned a lesson. We had a bad hire. And rather than saying it was how I hired, rather than saying it was how I managed, we say it's hiring in general. And we've overlearned a lesson. So a process to bring on good people, manage the right way, put into a matrix or a structure in your business. They should have a positive return on investment. And it should be very quick, depending on the position. It should be very quick either directly because they produce or indirectly because they save time for other people to produce in the business. And it's yeah. pretty straightforward to see.
1: It, it really is. And, and I think I think people, David, are going to get a great amount of value by reading your book. You also have a podcast, right? Because I want to point them to that too. What What's the name of your podcast?
0: Sure. Scale Your Business Radio. I did that with a good friend of mine who I wrote a different book called Scale. And his name is Jeff, Jeff Hoffman. He was one of the founding team members and former CEO in Priceline.com. And so, you know, I thought I had trouble scaling when I went from, you know, 1 million to 10 million, you know, they went from in, in 24 months, they went, well, actually let's go back from zero in sales to a billion in sales in 48 months. Can you imagine scaling up that quickly? One of the fastest scaling companies in history. No. And so he and I have been doing that podcast, at uh, various times now for several years.
1: Okay. So I'm going to have both of those, those, uh, links in the show notes to, to Jeff's or, or uh, David's podcast. Sure. And to a place where you can get a, um, a book and it's tell us about the book, because a lot of times they say, well, here's a sample and you get like four pages. Your sample.
0: Yeah. So when we created the Freedom Formula, I, I negotiated with the publisher um, specifically that we wanted to be able to give people a real sneak peek, not the, the four pages. So we actually have um, the first 60 or 70 pages of the book, the first two and a half chapters all there. And if someone's not hooked about how we do time, about what the two value economy versus the time and effort economy, we haven't hooked them then by giving them concrete value, then, you know, you should choose a different book. But uh, that's all available at freedomtoolkit.com, which I think will be with the show notes as well. And they can get that. Plus, just a side note, um, when they get on that site, they can actually get the, the toolkit we've created around that, which includes that time tool I mentioned to you. They can download the PDF and have oh, it walk right. them through right there. Yeah, I'm hoping they get the book. But even if they didn't, as long as they do something with it, yeah. use it to a good effect, I'm, I'm happy with that.
1: Yeah. Well, and I and I think that's one thing I loved about, about your heart and everything is, is you're here to share. I mean, you have a wealth of knowledge. I mean, you, you appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. Uh, but I, I appreciate how you, you've structured things and the simplicity. I've got three words that I kind of live by. Is clarify, simplify, and multiply. And they have to go in that order. Too many times people want to go to multiplication first. It's like, no, 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 clarify first. And that's what you've helped us do today is, is clarify a little bit around just how can we be successful? And it's defining what success really is. You know, to me, success in business is working less than 40 hours a week and providing for my family and my employees and serving my clients with value. Damn. Is that possible? Absolutely. So anyway, um, freedomtoolkit.com. It's going to be in the show notes. I, I want people to listen to the podcast because this is just a sneak peek, but I'm sure on that podcast, you go into all kinds of things. And I'm a big podcast listener uh, because I gain so much value and just meet so many new people and go, wow, one idea.
0: That's right. That's, That's right.
1: Takes, so execute that one idea, David. Thank you. I, I really am grateful that you uh, spent some time with me. I, I hope I I got a lot out of it. I, I know my listeners will too.
0: Well, it's a blast. And I took away a few nuggets here. I love that. Clarify, simplify, and multiply, and I had this image of uh, Michael Keaton in a movie once upon a time where he just kind of kept multiplying himself through some kind of weird technology and he was running everywhere. And I thought to myself, if only he had clarified and simplified first, then he wouldn't have had those bad copies going on. So, Michael, thank you for teaching me today.
1: You're welcome, David. You're welcome. It's been great to be with you. You take care and have a great week.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Expert Speak with Michael DeLon. If what you've heard today was helpful to you, reach out to our expert guest and see how they can serve you to bring you more success, freedom, and purpose in your life.